Hey everybody, welcome to another season of History Unloaded with Danny and Ashley. Ashley, what are we talking about today? We are talking about the most boring guns in the museum, sponsored by Danny Michael's wife. <laughs> yes, this idea, we do take visitor or visitor. I almost, I tried to say viewer and I said visitor and both are wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we try and take listener suggestions. So if you have one, let us know. Uh, but this one was a listener suggestion from my wife who said, I want to hear what you think the most boring gun in your museum is. Cause we always talk about what's really interesting to us. We always talk about this. Like we have some of our favorite stories, our favorite pieces in the collection. You know, when I give a tour of the museum, there's probably uh, a couple dozen like guns that I'll like use as sort of, this is my library of things that I know really well and that I like talking about. So these are the ones I'll go to. Um, but that means I'm obviously avoiding some. So are there any that you avoid when you give a tour, Ashley? Oh, avoid. Okay, so we should also point out the fact that like you told me this theme like right before we started yeah, recording. This, so this we purposely not roughly thought about 10 minutes it. Ago. Yes. So um, a gun that I avoid in the collection that's boring. Oh, I can't say it. Oh, you got to. Is a genre. This is this is why people come what's all all stereotypical Western guns. <laughs> I mean, that's why people are coming to listen to this podcast is to find out these hard-hitting details. Well, you know, so, so Ash, Ashley so, hates the Old West. I don't hate the Old West, and there's interesting things, but like, if it's just a Winchester Model 1873, and like, it doesn't have cool provenance, or if it's just a Colt-type single action, and it doesn't have cool provenance, like, unless I'm like doing a tour on safety mechanisms or lack thereof, you know, there's really not. I don't know. It's just like, these are examples of guns of the old West. You know, I don't stand in front of them for a long time. So I think like anything that's ultimately representative, but doesn't have a deeper like historical connection to that specific artifact is relatively boring to me. Um, I have one that might draw some ire. Okay. I don't know if it's boring, but I don't like them that much. Commemoratives. Oh yeah. You really don't like commemoratives. It's not boring though. I don't know. I th they're kind of boring. I mean, I can make it exciting. You know why commemoratives are popular? Because, why? Uh, okay, uh, because in the post World War II period, um, with the like kind of resurgence of the Western genre, um, televisions in people's homes, um, people got really back into the old West, and they got into like the movies and their favorite TV shows, and then they were like, "I got to have me some of those guns, but I'm poor." And so I can't buy an original Winchester because I have no money. And so the companies were like, oh, we could like make something that's a lot more cost effective. You know, you can't buy a historic figures gun for like a hundred bucks. You also can't buy a commemorative for a hundred bucks. But uh, <laughs> I don't know, maybe dance all day. I mean, at the time it. it was. Yeah. They were introduced for about that much. Yeah, but, you know, so so basically this was all of these companies, both in America and in Europe, because, I mean, the European companies really jumped on this bandwagon really pretty fast, and Americans, to some respect, you know, other than Navy arms, are pretty slow to accept this. But it was basically the way for Americans who were watching their heroes on TV, um, you know, were able to purchase a firearm that they idolized that has significance to them and a specific, you know, topic that they're interested in, but doesn't cost as much as Buffalo. Bill's actual 73. So that's interesting history. 
All right. So I think this episode just took a turn as most of ours do. Um, is the actual episode, one of us says something we aren't that interested in and the other person has to try and make it interesting. Like to give you, to go back to your example yeah, of yeah. a representative Western gun that you don't find that interesting because it's just, it's a plain Jane Winchester 73. We don't know where it came from. We don't know what it did. Like I will take that and see on a gun like that for me, what I find interesting about those is the possibility. It's sort of like the Great Basin Winchester. You know, obviously that one's not just the plain Jane representative Why'd piece. Why'd you have to go there? I had to. You but saw my Instagram. People, people love that gun because it let them imagine why it was, why was it out there against that tree? And they came up with all sorts of stories. It was definitely aliens, but like, people went wild with it. And I think to an extent, that's why those representative pieces are interesting is because we don't know the story on every 1873 in the collection. We don't know the story on every star army revolver. We don't know the story on every Spencer, but it's really easy for me to imagine a Spencer that got issued during the civil war and then maybe a homesteader bought it and took it out West. And to me, that's a compelling what could have been when I work with or hold one of those artifacts um, that I think makes those guns interesting. Yeah, I like this exercise. You know, it just made me totally think that, like, we should also, like, we should, for the conversation corner sometime, just take, like, a stereotypical gun that doesn't have a history and ask people to make up a history for it. That would be kind of fun. Oh, that would be a lot of fun. It would be really cool to do something like that, and it wouldn't be a lot of work on us. But then I was also thinking of another thing that might draw ire, since I like that word and you used it, um, is I think that I find boring – what people find interesting. Like, does that make sense? Like, like guns that have been, guns that have just been overdone. You know, like, everybody loves the Colt 1911. Well, like, I like the Colt 1911 too, but like, I don't know, I find the history to be far less exciting than like a weird early semi-auto. And so I feel like I've become like the type of person, actually, I'm going to give you a really weird scenario. So like, I'm a big Billy Joel fan. Like, big Billy Joel fan, okay? And Mark surprised me with tickets to a Billy Joel concert. And I was like, yeah, like, let's do this. And we went to hear Billy Joel. And I was really disappointed because the songs that I like of Billy Joel are not his hits. I'm like kind of over his hits. And the only songs he plays now, because, you know, he's Billy Joel, so he can do what he wants. And like, you know, I don't know, it's probably brain damage there from like all the drugs and the alcohol and driving into walls and stuff. You know, so like all he does is play like, you know, just the hits. And like, I was actually really disappointed because like I was like oh do you think he'll play stiletto do you think he'll play like you know oh my god I can't even remember the name of our, my wedding song but like you know I love all of those kind of other music that he like you know that he wrote it was really good but I did not want to hear the classics because I've just like as a curator of a museum and someone who came from the Smithsonian's collection and work with big collections like I'm kind of like played out on the traditional things that everybody's obsessed with so you're saying you only want the deep tracks of gun history. Yes. I am I'm a hipster and like I only want the guns that weren't that big of a deal. So I actually I kind of agree with you on this, but I'm gonna play devil's advocate for a minute and say I I love the Burton machine rifle because it's such a mystery gun. We don't know anything about it. We've talked about it way too many times to go back into it here. I know. But <laughs> it's actually if you flip this on its head, it's kind of a boring gun because it doesn't really impact firearms history at all. It's just a one-off that happens. Nobody does anything with it. 
So in that in that sense, it's kind of a boring gun. And so are some of those deep tracks to like, again, play devil's advocate here. Like the obscure stuff for whatever reason, it might have like been like forward thinking. It might have been ahead of its time, all this other stuff. But for one reason or another, or another, it didn't have an impact on firearms history at large. And so from that standpoint, it is kind of for the sake of this conversation, boring. Um, and then something like a 1911 that has a huge impact on firearms history uh, is by that criteria more interesting. I have a question. That makes sense. Yes. Is the 1911 the piano man? It's, I guess that would, that could be, that would make like the single action army, like wagon wheel. <laughs> uh, I, was, <laughs> I was just thinking about like what gun I only say that because I was, I was just a, thinking about what historical gun figures would be just sitting in that bar <laughs> like, so if we rate guns by the popularity of a corresponding song like <laughs> <laughs> but no I totally get what I you're saying mean, about that I mean the one-offs are really cool because they're oddities but I mean what did they really do to the larger understanding um, of firearms history and you know I think it's just I think that you almost get what people don't realize with our job is we almost get burnout though you know, and I think that's why, like, at the beginning of the podcast, I talked about, you know, the fact that I'm really not into, like, the stereotypical Old West guns. And it's because that's been my life for the past nine years. Like, bring me something different to the table. And, you know, and so I can't even imagine. Like, maybe we're just not of the mindset. Maybe you are. I don't think I'm of the mindset that I could just collect, like, one model of gun and get every variation of it. Like, I just don't think I'm that that minded of a curator. I don't know many curators that are that way, more collectors, but I just think that like, for me, I'm more interested in like the bigger picture and you know, things that we don't know. And so when we know it, I'm just kind of like, eh, we know it. Yeah. And like, I, I get that too. Like I definitely feel burnout on certain subjects at like the time. It's kind of a shame. Cause like, once you like do something you really love and then do it as a job, like that relationship, you know, some people are like, Oh, I love, I never work because I love what I do. Like there's that mentality, but that's not the whole picture all the time. Um, and there are certain things, I don't know. I still like Western firearms, if only because I still have a desire to put a, a Maxim on a Winchester 94, like Hiram Percy. And like, that is a goal of mine in life. Don't so, copy my, are you going to copy my Dylan cover shoot? What are you doing? Maybe. <laughs> you you like lean up against a barn. <laughs> I yeah. But I love but see like I love a thing like that. Like you take a ninety four, which is like a multi million repeated blah blah blah. That wasn't even a, like English. So I'm turning into you. But like it's been reproduced a million over a million times, seven million something like that. You know, and it's like super popular. But then you add a you know silencer on it. I said silencer. You add, you know, a silencer on the end of it and you're like, what? You know, and like, so it's like little things like that that I think make they make our artifacts like way more interesting, like when they're, when they fall into that traditional history. Right. But I was thinking like, what, um, so like, what's a boring gun that we can take and then give like a tidbit of a history about that boring gun that isn't always talked about that's more fascinating. Ooh. That's a good question. I have another one after this in mind okay. um, because there's one, there's one that vis that I was surprised about when I got to the museum, but to think about your question. What about gun... like, what about a Springfield 1903? Okay. Yeah. That one. Um, 
it's a standard American service rifle and it serves for first half of the 20th century. It's pretty, as bolt action rifles go, it's pretty normal. It's basically a Mauser. In fact, Mauser won a lawsuit about it. Um, that's an interesting, what you, that's an interesting fact. That's an interesting fact. Um, it's also interesting that there exists its predecessors like the Springfield 1901. So it's like both sides of the coin. It's like this boring gun producing the millions, uh, pretty standard bolt action rifle. But then there's like these obscure steps that lead to it, like the Springfield 1901 that people don't really know about. That's this weird looking kind of 1903 rifle. Uh, there's the rod bayonet story that, um, Teddy Roosevelt like tried it out and didn't like it or something like that. I don't know. Theodore. I forget that part of the story. Theodore, sorry. Excuse me. Uh, well, and then all those prototypes up at Springfield Armory, like that one where like it like the barrel pops up and it's like the trench gun thing where like it yeah. like, looks over and you've got the mirror. I mean, so they were like like the basic of trying to take like something that's a winner and, you know, experiment with it beyond, which is kind of interesting. Also, the U.S. Army's obsession, like the 1903 is the last iteration, but the U.S. Army for a long time was obsessed with the idea of a cleaning rod bayonet and tried it on like, like they tried it like every 20 years or so for like most of the 19th century. And every time they're like, yeah, this is really a terrible idea. And then like the next generation of officers come in, hey, if we made the cleaning rod into a bayonet, I bet it would be great. And they're like, nope, didn't work. <laughs> so what was the thing you were thinking of? So this is one that visitors have done. Like I never expected when I started this job to get the this question as much as I do, but visitors have done this to me all the time. And I'll be up in the gallery doing a tour, walking through, and like people recognize that I work here and be like, excuse me, can you help me find this gun? And I always thought that question would be about like, can you help me find Oliver Winchester's 1866? Or can you help me find, you know, the most engraved gun in the collection? Can you... I always thought it would be that stuff. It's almost invariably, can you help me find a Sears 22? And it's not, I mean, it's not always a Sears 22, but it's like a Sears 22 or the Remington that dad taught me to shoot with, or it's always like some mildly obscure, inexpensive field grade 22 rifle from the 60s, 70s, you know, that time frame of gun manufacture that most collectors don't care about, that we only have in the museum because it's sort of like, again, going back to that encyclopedic nature of the collection, that wouldn't really stand out from a crowd, but people want to see the guns that they learn to shoot with, that to us are very non, often nondescript guns, but to them mean a huge amount. And so like, they're really interested in that. And so I can sit here in the middle of this amazing collection that has you know, thousands of pieces, including one-off prototypes, you know, guns that are really significant, all that stuff. And it, did I just distract you? You did. And in spite of all that stuff, they still want to see the hundred dollar 22 rifle. Yes. I'm sorry. We have to explain what, what that was. Cause it won't make any sense. Um, my jaw locked up. And so like, I started trying to be funny by eating my microphone, but then my jaw got stuck. <laughs> And like, I couldn't get it to open. We're professionals, folks. So I panicked and I really didn't think Danny was looking. It was. <laughs> but you got so distracted. Um, no, but I, I agree with you. I mean, that whole concept too of like, 
where's my gun? I mean, we talked about this, you know, in a magical dream world where we get whatever we want. You know, I want to see an app at the museum that's called Where's My Gun? And really, it's just a GPS located thing where you can type in the gun you're looking for and it goes, it takes you to that spot, you know, in the museum, which like was supposed to be a part of our new museum. But we can't, we learned that like we can't do everything. (laughs) We learned the hard way and it hurt. (laughs) Yeah. But it is always interesting because I'm always fascinated by like what other people find interesting and like what yeah. I don't find interesting. Sometimes I feel like I'm a little broken because people will be like, ah, this. And I'll be like, I don't care. Don't care. Uh, but yeah. I think that also comes like with the territory of, so like we talked about, you know, things don't aren't interesting to me because it's been overdone. But then I think to some extent, you know, like with the, when we tried to go through the 1903 example of like, it's also, you know, overdone, but then it's also things that you maybe don't know enough about to find interesting. Cause I, you know, for example, uh, I'm trying to tiptoe around a lawsuit I'm working on that I can't talk about, but like, you know, this, this, this lawsuit is, you know, for a more modern technology that like prior to, you know, really working on it, I hadn't thought that much about. And, you know, doing the research on it, you know, I knew it existed, I knew it was important, I knew it was popular, blah, 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 but like I really hadn't thought much about it. And then, you know, doing the research for, you know, whether I wanted to take the case or not, I was like, holy crap, there is so much history and rich, you know, information about this one type of firearm in terms of like how it was inspired and how it was developed and then the weird technicals of it, like down to the minutia. And I just like, it was fascinating to me because I had never thought of it when you had said it to me. I was like, yeah, I know what it is. And I know obviously it's important from all these reasons, but like I hadn't gotten into the weeds on that history yet. So I thought it was kind of dull until I got into it. And, you know, so I think that you almost, there's the overplayed, but then there's also the thing that you just don't know that much about that kind of looks average to you that you don't know mm-hmm. until you get really into it that, man, there's so much more to it. I think that's why it's really easy to get like, I find myself all the time, like, and I'm pretty sure our bosses don't listen to this right now. So like getting distracted at work because um, like you get down a tangent, like it's a subject and you get a question about it and then you have to like dig in to like try and find an answer and all of a sudden you're like 20 pages deep in web links from these obscure forums. And you're like, "Uh Oh, I <laughs> got to get back to work. Uh, but you know, it's, it's a thing. A lot of stuff. I think you're right. It seems a, a little bit average at the surface, but once you spend some time, um, it's really easy to, to get hooked, so to speak. And you mean like I think that's- when we did the, uh, like when I was pulling up for like the museum and it was like, um, Hiram Stevens Maxim invented the machine gun. Well, that's not true. There were machine guns, but then who invented the machine gun? And then we started looking at Richard Gatling. You can't see the look I'm giving him right now, but it's angry. Oh, by the way, I don't know if you noticed one of my notes in that manuscript review was about that. Uh, (laughs) I thought you'd appreciate that. I did. Um, So, like, you know, so we were like, well, you know, if he didn't invent it, I mean, he created the first, like, I don't know, like, gas-operated, recoil-operated, something, you know, something uh, commercially successful. There's lots of different ways you can phrase it, but he often gets credited for being the machine gun inventor. But then when we tried to find who invented the machine gun, we couldn't. That's where we got into that weird conspiracy theory about the fact that Hiram Stevens Maxim was somebody else and changed his identity and then his kids came looking for him, you know, and then we also, you know, propelled off into the whole, you know, when you Google who invented the machine gun, you get Richard Jordan Gatling and, you know, the Gatling gun, that's not a machine gun, it's a machine gun, you know, so like it's interesting because you do spiral off when you like look at these kind of standard histories, you know, like, and that's something that I find 
you know, interesting in the mundane is, you know, when we were making our timeline of like normal steps in the chronology of firearms history, you know, and so it'd be like the Minier ball is the first conically shaped cartridge. Well, no, it's not. There were a bunch of weird ass things that happened before that, but that's the piece of history we remember. And so, you know, in the mundane, when you start to actually question the things that we always say, you tend to find more information that makes it more fascinating. Yeah. And like a good example that came up as we were, you know, asked to review some things, talking about something as like straightforward and as well known as the 1911 or Browning handguns and thinking about like the, what, so Browning invents a lot of popular handguns. What really is like his competitor at the time? What's actually first? What like goes down? And then you get way down this rabbit hole into early semi-auto stuff and like, what features um, actually show up on the Browning that don't show up on any other handguns. And it's, it's a, it's a total mess, but it could start with something as simple as like Browning invented the 1911 and what made that unique. And then you go back and back and back and pretty soon you're in the 1880s and Europe and very weird. Oh, I got something. Camila, you haven't talked yet. What do you find boring about our museum? That's a hard question, Ashley. I was thinking like your answer was just like guns in general. <laughs> well, that's true though. I mean, it is guns in general. I just, I don't find guns interesting. I mean, I think I, since I have met you both and I have been, you know, you guys explained to me about certain guns and stuff like that, certain things pique my interest, but it's, it's I'm still not like, you know, going and looking for a gun or whatever. Yeah. That is to me I just it's still I don't understand I mean you know what I really love about the new museum that you guys have is the art section because like I'm into art and those are actually really beautiful and that's cool to me see and that's interesting that you point that out because I actually find our art section to be the most boring but that's my and, and that's where it goes that it's all like subjective you know well but like okay so it's it's the most interesting for me like when I'm just walking through the museum like all the other guns are like okay they just look like guns like why do I care about them but the ones with the art on them I'm like oh these are pretty they look cool like cool versus like if you tell me about a certain gun and tell me the history behind it I'm like oh okay that's more interesting than just this gun that looks like every other gun yeah so I guess the moral of the story is we need a Danny and Ashley stationed at every corner of our museum telling people that the things they think are boring are not, in fact, boring. Aggressively so. Aggressively, Aggressively telling so. the people that's not boring. You go um, wrong. <laughs> so you just let it slip that you think there is a most boring gallery in our museum. Me? Uh, actually, yeah. Oh, yeah. By saying that you thought the art museum or art gallery was the most boring. <laughs> oh, Freudian <laughs> slip. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Karen think, and Nicole, we love you. We love you, Whitney. Uh, <laughs> the uh, so can we? Since we started this episode on what is the most boring gun in the collection, can we identify a most boring gun in the collection? Wait, did you just say the same thing twice? No, I was saying we started the episode with the premise: is is there a gun that's like the most boring in the collection? So, can we sit here and determine is that actually a thing, or are we just going to be like? Well, this is why that 70th Winchester 94 is actually super interesting. I don't think we can, to be honest. I mean, it's so subjective that like, 
I honestly can't think of a specific example that I consider the most boring. Um, you know, I can think of a gallery that I think is kind of boring, um, you know, that had potential and maybe didn't, didn't meet it. Um, but like a gun in and of itself, I don't think I can, because I think my brain operates too like ADHD minded where like, I'll go, that's boring. But then I'll be like, oh, but this part of it's interesting and this part of it's interesting. And so I think it's too subjective for me to say that. Um, but I'm also not trying to throw shade on Kirsten. (laughs) (laughs) because I think it's an interesting topic I just don't think I I have one gun that I find to be like well I mean it kind of goes it's like antimatter to our job descriptions like right as curators of this collection we're supposed to be able to find the interesting part of all these things like that's our job to an extent do I get bored a lot at my job yes (laughs) <laughs> but it's not um, necessarily a gun. The most boring gun in our museum is budgets. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is accurate. I think that's. Um, the, I think we should end on that. I had a note, but yeah, we'll end. Okay, what's your note? Say your note. Well, I was just gonna say, like, even like to take the example of the Winchester ninety-four. Like, all right, I start getting into like weird models of Winchester that we have literally a hundred of these. And I think, all right, one of these has to be boring. But then I start to look in the collection and I go through them and it's like, okay, now we get to this one that is in a different configuration or this one that's in a caliber that they didn't actually make. And so then you get to show it to the people that really like 94s and like blow their minds that, Hey, this gun is, they supposedly didn't make this, but here I am holding it. And like that stuff then makes it interesting, even though it might be number 59 on the list of how many 94s do we have? Very, very true. You like 94s. You've been talking about them a lot today. Uh, I think I think that's your answer. Better. It's the 94. <laughs> <laughs> it's the 90. Uh, All right. Well, we've been uh-oh. talking for a really long time. Uh, I like this one. This one's fun. This is a good one. This is a really fun one. So uh, we hope you enjoyed a conversation about... I don't know, what we find boring and then some other stuff and some tangents and some things and the fact that Camila just finds all guns boring. You know, you learned something about all three of us today. (laughs) Maybe more than you wanted to know. (laughs) Talk to y'all later. Yeah.